Hello, David Oakes here, and welcome to a special season of Tree to Crowd, a bonus series of episodes exploring our native tree species. And perhaps this episode should be considered a cheeky bonus episode within said bonus series, because this week I am heading way off-piste, away from the strictly native. As I hope I have made apparent over the past two episodes, and if you haven't listened to those yet, go back now, you are not welcome here. (laughs) Poplars are incredibly impressive trees. Poplars are big, and poplars are pretty. We love having them around, but our native poplars, the black and the aspen, are increasingly rare in the wild, and you're just not that likely to see them anymore, other than at a garden centre or in a stately home. To that end... I've taken the liberty to include a couple of extra poplars on my list. And with that, cast your mind back a fortnight to my episode on the black poplar and recall my pitch-perfect retelling of the tale of Phaeton's daddy issues as a way to start talking about trees and the ancient Greek obsession with poplars. Well, as we are still doing poplars, grab a hold of your Iliads. Secrets and stories beneath the 56-ish native trees of the British Isles. Greek myth says the one of this week's trees first grew on the banks of the Acheron, the river to the underworld. Oceanus, who is somehow simultaneously the father to gods, a lover to Gaia, and a vast river that circles our world also fathered an innumerable number of daughters, collectively known as the Oceanids, of which there are so many that it's easy to imagine them as a byproduct of a mass spawning event. Anyway, Lusa, or Luca, was supposedly the most beautiful frogspawn of them all. So beautiful, in fact, that Pluto, the god of the underworld, deemed it wholly appropriate to abduct her, imprison her, and keep her all to himself in Hades. Hades, who, like Oceanus, is also simultaneously a place and a person. It's all very confusing. Welcome to the world of Greek myths. But perhaps as an apology for having doomed her to a life imprisoned underground, upon her death, Pluto immortalised Luca in the Elysian fields by bringing a tree into existence in memory of her beauty. And it is at this exact moment that humankind first bowed in awe at the beauty of tree number 17. The white poplar. The white poplar. Populus alba. White poplars are not native to Britain. They are native to the underworld. Or, as their prevalence in the myths of ancient Greece should make clear, they are an archetype, one introduced to Britain from its native home in southern and eastern Europe. The white can cope very well in acidic soils and with salty winds, and as such can be found growing near our coastlines. It grows really rather well in Britain, certainly better than we've given our natives the opportunity to. And it is easily recognised by its pale grey bark and is covered with iconic dark diamond pores called lenticles. As with the aspen, it is the leaves of the white poplar which are particularly striking. They're quite furry, with a rich green colour on the upper sides, but the underside of the leaf is where the tree gets its name. The leaf underside is almost white, arguably silver, and hence the white poplar is also known as the silver poplar. Poet Leah Goldberg, in a poem that admittedly isn't strictly about the tree, says, White poplar leaves light the mute darkness. 
But how did this coloration come into being? And back into Greek mythology we go. Heracles, or if you prefer your Roman mythology, Hercules, achieved legendary status for completing 12 seemingly impossible labours. These labours mostly consisted of Heracles or Hercules reducing ancient Greece or Rome's biodiversity. Labour 1, kill a lion. Labour 2, kill what is essentially a gaggle of water snakes. Labour 3, catch a deer. Labour 4, hunt a boar. Labour... you get the idea. Anyway, for succeeding in Labour 10, a task that saw him round up a herd of cattle which were obviously all eventually sacrificed, an altar was set up in honour of Heracles. An altar in a white poplar grove, to be precise, and the white poplar was consecrated in his name. Heracles and his men celebrated in only the way ancient Greek men know how. They wove poplar leaves into each other's hair. Which is fine. It's absolutely fine. So, skip forward a few years to Heracles on the brink of successfully completing labour number 12, otherwise known as the one where he mistreats a dog. <laughs> we find our hero climbing back up from the depths of hell with a three-headed dog over his shoulder and still with those presumably wilting poplar leaves woven into his luscious locks. Myth states that Heracles' protective poplar leaf crown was subjective to massive heat as he departed Hades. The top side of the poplar leaves becoming darkly discoloured by the flames and the soot, yet the underside being protected from the blaze by Heracles's sweaty brow and remained with its gleaming white effervescence, silver, white and stunning. But, myths aside, what use has the white poplar really provided society? The timber of the white isn't particularly useful. It's lightweight and not that durable, perhaps another reason why it has thrived in our nation of obsessive tree cutters. But the bark possesses antiseptic and anti-inflammatory properties and has as such been used to treat a whole host of complaints such as gout, hemorrhoids and rheumatism. And apparently chewing the leaves will help with toothache too, which I haven't tried and I won't. And if you want to yourself, you didn't get that advice from me. Anyway, like the willows, with whom the poplars are members of the same family, poplars hybridise very readily, but the white poplar hybridises especially successfully with our aspen, making one amazing tree, the biggest poplar in Britain. Tree number 18. The grey poplar. The grey poplar. Populus ex canescens. Originally, in 1789, the grey poplar was thought to be a variety of the white poplar. But then in 1804, it was reclassified as a full species in its own right. But now we know that it is the love child of our aspen and the non-native but naturalised white poplar. It is native born, but it is a hybrid. And like many hybrids, it grows extremely vigorously and is the tallest of our poplars, reaching roughly 37 metres-ish in height. Its size and rate of growth make it an extremely valuable forestry tree, its timber providing wood for many things, including matchsticks. Whole groves of grey poplars have been grown by the likes of Bryanton May and Swan for that express purpose. Other match brands are available. As such, the chances are if you are to come across a poplar in the wild, it is a numbers game, and it will probably be either the white poplar, which is stunning, or the grey poplar, which is the tallest of the poplars in our country. Both are incredible. The white because of its elegant silver leaves, and the grey 
for its sheer might. But whether native, non-native or native-born hybrid, the genus populus offers our country with trees that, due to their colour, their movement and their stature, have inspired humanity for centuries, especially the Greek, and long may they keep doing so. So, that's my treat to myself, my extra bonus episode on a hybrid and an archaeophyte, a treat to myself, and with it, the end of the Salicaceae. Next week I head into the Rosaceae, the home to apples, to cherries, to pears, and all the wonderful alcoholic beverages that you can create from them. And there's a shitload. Um, So next week I'm probably going to be pissed. Um, Thank you very much for listening. Next week we'll be heading on to the Blackthorn, to Slows. Oh, Slows. If you want to hear more of our episodes, head to treesacrown.fm. They're all there. And if you want to get a sneaky, a sneaky slow ridden preview, join our Patreon. Thank you very much for listening. Bye bye. Uprooting the secrets and stories beneath the 56 ish native trees of the bridge.